Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Review, the show where every week we pick something that we have a nostalgia for, we then revisit it and review it to find out whether or not our hindsight truly is 2020 or if we've just been wearing rose tinted glasses. I'm your host, Connor O'Keen, and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Michael Gerbaz. How are you doing? Hello, hello. I'm doing well. Excellent. Now, this week, this this week's episode is based on a true story, wouldn't you know? Get your get your animal crackers ready because we're doing Zodiac, <laughs> the 2007 uh, mystery thriller film directed by David Fincher, screenplay by James Vanderbilt, based on the 1986 nonfiction book of the same name by Robert Graysmith. Stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo, and Robert Downey Jr. as the author of the film, source text Robert Graysmith, the detective Dave Tosky, and the writer Paul Avery, respectively. The film tells the story of the manhunt for the Zodiac Killer, a serial murderer who terrorised the San Francisco Bay Area during the late 1960s and early 1970s, taunting the police with letters, bloodstained clothing, and ciphers mailed to newspapers. I guess before we get into the movie, did you have any knowledge of uh this case of this this thing we've talked a bit about like our our serial killer phases yes on the show and talking about like silence of the lambs and the like mm. but uh, yes did, so did you have any i had no clue i didn't i wasn't doing like research on real serial killers so i mm-hmm. came to the film just being a david fincher fan i believe um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed it but didn't it didn't like wow me until like a rewatch a couple of years later, and then I was like, oh, holy shit, no, this is totally up there with, like, some of his, like, best stuff. This is fucking dope. Mm. I think it's a real cool, like, David Fincher is well known for the, like, the serial killer genre. Yeah, with yeah. With this and Go With a Dragon Tattoo and, uh, like, Mindhunters later Seven. on Netflix. Seven, of course. Sim- with a s- similar directorial styles, but with little bits of, like, stylistic difference. Like, Seven is stylistically mm-hmm. different where you sort of talked about that how it's a like proto saw stuff but yeah, this definitely. is more of a take on the serial killer but with a, like a classic whodunit murder mystery more than any other um of his work yeah I, I i guess so i feel like i don't get so much the whodunit aspect i get almost a it has this like procedural almost documentary kind of uh feel to it in, yeah in totally parts. like uh, that's sort of what i mean i feel like it's i can see the um when i watch it i can see the i can see the structure of a classic agatha christie poirot but viewed through the lens of david finch's filmmaking based on a real sure, subject matter sure. so sort of like a realistic yeah, gritty take yeah. on the classic You've got like your your detective that he's got his quirks, yeah. the, the animal crackers. Well, you're right. You're right. I, I guess it. I guess it does kind of. You're right. It's like a whodunit or like a, a classic detective murder mystery thing, but with all the trimmings of of uh, classic Fincher with with themes of like nihilism and uh, architecture and and stuff like that. And just so like where meticulous. So where instead of cinematography, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So where instead of um, Jack Gyllenhaal's character is like the antithesis of your hard-boiled detective. So it's kind of, it takes all these like, takes this genre and mm. takes a bunch of the tropes of that genre and kind of twists them and and gives them this kind of, I, don't, I can't think of a better word than like cynical. Mm. Um, I, I feel like nihilistic is is probably the, the better word, which is a, a common theme in, in his work. Yeah, what a great... What a great episode to follow up Batman. It's so uh Yeah. So no, I'm just kidding. I was thinking when I was watching this was uh Scream. I was sort of uh thinking that Scream does a lot of that classic whodunit stuff, but taking that source material and doing it in the terms of like a horror slasher film. And I sort yeah, of feel like it's yeah, got totally. this has those sort of uh telltale signs as well. 
the way that it like yeah deals out the little breadcrumbs of um, evidence and stuff with all these little little nice like nuggets of like oh oh and they're like makes you keeps you on your toes the whole way through sort of the same way that Scream yeah. deals out all of those little bits of evidence as well totally I I think it's and I mean the the film almost has that that meta commentary kind of aspect where later on in the film Dirty Harry is yeah like very much shown so. as a film within this film where they're literally like they've made a movie about this serial killer who they still haven't caught or like yep. they've made a movie with a villain inspired by the serial killer that they still haven't caught sort of obviously inspired by it uh i was i was doing a little bit of research on the dirty harry thing that mm-hmm. it is funny that today we see that as like oh this this film and we like we view it in film history differently how it was viewed when it first came out and when it came out people sure. thought it looked like it was this really distasteful like sort of b plot thing that shouldn't mm be a big like a big hollywood like blockbuster because they were like oh this is like based off of it's just like a hacky uh take on these real murders that haven't been solved yet and some people sort of like that rubbed people the wrong way yeah okay so it's funny to see how like the perception of it has changed over time which is i think a thing with this film as well like it's odd how obsessed our viewers can be with the serial killer genre like we've talked about how like mm. we we love the genre and there's an element of that in the film as well. Um, obviously, Jake Gyllenhaal's character does get completely obsessed with it. And yeah, it's, it, that it becomes this of, all-consuming kind of yeah, obsession. But, but for us, it's like how long is okay after the real events to make a film of it and be sitting, eating your popcorn and loving it and... Being able to distance yourself from like, oh shit, this was these were real people that were killed, and I'm like oh, absolutely, watching it as yeah. entertainment and loving it. It's a it's an interesting like, where's the right cutoff point for it sort of stuff. Yeah, totally. You've mentioned like the who done it thing and it, it dropping these clues and stuff. I think I went into this because I had a bit of knowledge of the case. Yeah, just just reading Wikipedia and stuff as a kid, but um, I understood that this was a case that was never solved. So mm. I knew that it was never going to be a, it wasn't going to be a, a classic who done it. We were never going to find out who actually done it assuming that they were go- that they were going to be kind of um true to life or as true to life as possible. Yeah, right. Um which I think they do. They do a miraculous job of of managing to be faithful to the real life events, but it has this attention to detail while also twisting the truth just enough with the characters more than the details of the crimes just to make it uh, engaging as a film. The narrative is kind of streamlined so that it never quite becomes, the, never quite re- like falls into just documentary uh, territory. Yeah, yeah, right. But I knew we were never going to find out who this person was. So I like watching it as this like kind of tragic comedy of errors where like you get to see just how kind of contradictions and conflicting bits of evidence piling on top of one another that stymied the real life in- investigations and led to missed clues and dead ends. And by the end of it, we can we can understand just how something like this can go unsolved. Yeah. Totally, uh, and I think that fits in that work. That's so that's so David Fincher. Mm. That thing of like, no, all this stuff happened, and you've just witnessed all of it, and he was never caught. And the person who who you know this film essentially convicts uh, as the Zodiac killer, he did. He died before they even got to really so, question. So we'll him. never really know. So so we'll never really know. And it has that kind of nihilistic like again. It just has that that 
Fincher nihilism. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with you. That was basically the same <laughs> sort of uh, takeaway I got, even though I was watching it as like a whodunit. Because I'm watching oh, it as okay. like, cool, cool, cool. oh, this has all the ingredients of a classic whodunit, but with the David Fincher spin and the realistic take. Yeah, yeah. Of And so the realistic take know. of David Fincher is, look at all of this fucking evidence piling up and piling up and piling up. And people get, yeah. they said a couple of times of like, I, I like him for the case. Like different detectives mm. would have like a favorite. Yeah, they've all got different takes and different suspects. ideas of who did it. And yeah. when they uh, start focusing on that more, they're more happy to like all that evidence that they were like uh, really gunning for in like other things of like, oh yeah, we're going to rule people out with handwriting, this and that. Suddenly when the person they like for it doesn't match the handwriting, they're kind of happy to mm. like find a different person, a different handwriting expert that will contradict yeah, the other yeah, person or something yeah, just becomes- so we can fit their narrative of who they think it is. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's that bit where um, Ruffalo's character storms out of the the office and his boss comes out, like follows him out, and he's like... Do you know what the worst part of this is? I can't tell if I wanted it to be Alan so bad because I actually thought it was him or I just wanted all this to be over. And everyone kind of falls into that. Everybody uh, is is consumed by this... this it's weird. It's this weird, this need to know the know the the answer of who done it. Yeah, and and also, um, I mean, except really in the case of Robert Graysmith, he's just consumed by the I guess the riddle of it. Yeah, but in the case of Robert Downey Jr.'s character, like he literally says, like to Robert at one point, like, "What are you? What, what's in this for you?" Yeah, like How they're are you all kind of, off of like, this. Yeah, exactly. Everybody, everybody stands to gain from this except you. Why are you? That's right, you know, because so then we get the this. same thing when uh, Robert Downey Jr. talks to Mark Ruffalo and he's like, come on, we're on the same mm. team here. And he's like, no, we're not on the same team because I'm not worried about yeah. how my circulation's going up because of this. I actually yes. want to catch the guy to stop the murders, yeah. <laughs> not to profit yeah. off yeah, of yeah, newspaper yeah, yeah. sales. What you were saying about how you can feel that there's like that burden going on top of every person that's like searching after that that suspect and all the evidence is piling up and all this contradictory stuff you can really mm. feel that through the pacing of the film and the passage of time mm. it's just like years keep passing oh, by dude and just like oh, it's, dude it's ridiculous that that passage of time thing as a as like a a theme and and how that plays into how he he got away and uh, i mean there's literally that line where ruffalo's character is kind of confronting jake gyllenhaal's character and says too much time has passed too much evidence is lost people get old they forget yeah that's it yeah, and, and just, you can just like feel things like slipping away as as the movie goes yeah, on yeah yeah the years go by and by they convey that uh in really interesting ways like um i mean s- straight away like you get the the use of music and the use of mm. like licensed tracks from the eras that that uh, the events are taking place in, with like the hurdy gurdy man yeah. um, during the first murder and stuff. And then I like the um, the building, the skyscraper, yeah, going yeah, up. the, the really building cool. being built up and over over the course of a year. So by the time like that kind of ends, we see one year later, and it's like, wow, this shit, this really has been moving along. Yeah, like the skyline of the city is changing. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lovely there's a transition where it's just a black screen with um that was the other one I was going to bring up radio reports and music being and you hear like the the popular the music of the time changing mm. and stuff and you really get not only the sense that time has passed but that people life continues life life goes on yeah and and people are living uh, 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 kind of going on about their business happily yeah they forget um, and they stop these characters being but we come back it. to these characters yeah. We come back to these characters and they're still obsessed. They're still, mm. you know, compelled to try and solve this thing. 
Yeah, I like the cut to black for that montage scene because it's such a overused trope of uh, like news montage just like showing footage of different news stations to like portray what's going on especially at the beginning of films just to like cheaply establish stuff it's like super yeah, overused yeah. and i liked just the fact that it's overused it's, to the point of like parody in yeah. fucking short of the dead where he's channel surfing and it's yes, like finishing right. the sentence exactly yeah where this it's like this really long period of black where you're you you start to notice that you're like you're conscious of it you're like geez this screen's been black for ages and it's yeah, a really yeah, good yeah. sound mix and then after that really long period of black we see like the four years later and it's like boom yeah that's like, yeah a big like it's excellent yeah and the the black i think also contributes to the overall feeling of paranoia and panic it, that mm. the film kind of manages to uh, conjure up as well yeah totally because you because you do start to go like you do start to, it does start to make you uncomfortable you're like i'm not used to seeing a black screen for this long <laughs> yeah they're going to show me something to accompany these visuals and like no he just lets you sit with it yeah. Uh, which is really cool. So let's talk about the murder scenes, Yeah, dude. let's talk about the murders. Because like, the murder scenes, there's only really, what, three or four of them in this in this film? Yeah. Or murder slash, like, encounters. And they are shot so meticulously. Yeah. Like, Finch's camera movements feel inhuman in parts. And it, it, it really does a really good job of making you this this voyeur just watching these, these awful events kind of unfold um, in this really, like, fatalistic kind of way uh again we're watching these things that really happened and that really had no no none of these people got closure you mm. know yeah that's right um in in any i'm sure they they fucking went on to leave lead um decently happy lives but like no you know we caught the bad guy there was no classic yeah happy ending for these people yeah yeah the, the, that meticulous camera work is such like a david fincher staple where it doesn't feel like there's human operating it yeah it's so smooth that it's like yeah this floating sort of like alien presence that totally doesn't at no point do you see like a little bump or a wobble or they're handheld no. and you feel like conscious that there is a, a human behind the camera filming it it just feels like this yeah this real voyeur sort of thing yeah yeah you're watching these things unfold as though they were doomed to be mm. only times where we sort of see that is like there's the in one of the opening sequences the camera is like locked to the mailbag and so we get like the vibrations yeah yeah of yeah. the wheels of the, yep. the mailbag uh but that's like yeah that's a cool it's like cool a diegetic bit. camera movement not mm. a like oh that was a handheld thing it's because we feel that it's like in the the physical space of the film. These these murder scenes are so interesting, man. They're so like just the way he'll kill people is really bizarre, and there's this weird off-putting sort of way to it. And like yeah, the movie's yeah, such about it's, it's... patterns and the codes and stuff. But then we every time we get a new murder, it's like it doesn't fit the same mo of, as the previous one. You're like, why did he yes. take his gloves off when he was in the cab? Or yeah. like, why did yeah, he decide yeah, yeah. to shoot the couple at the beginning? And then he like, he could have shot the, the second couple at the lake, but he decides to but go instead, to the trouble of like yeah. tying them up so he can stab them. And it's just this, these really like, yeah, weird things where you're trying to get into the mind of the killer and like understand yeah. him. And every time yep. you think you understand him, it's like, oh, there's this other curveball and something different happens. And it makes you just start totally. questioning all over again. Even though John Carroll Lynch, play, who, who plays uh, Arthur Lee Allen, is again the the guy who is is the favorite um, uh, suspect. Yeah, 
every time the every time we see a murder sequence, the Zodiac killer is played by someone with a similar build, but someone different. But a different actor. Like yeah. we never. It's it's a different actor. It's with a, a really slightly cool. different voice, just very slightly. So it, it kind of reinforces that notion that all of the actual survivor testimonies were riddled with mismatching appearance descriptions. Mm. So it, it's 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 woven through everything in this movie. Yeah, totally. And it's also just like a fun, like little, like fuck you to the viewer. That's like the person that's like, Oh, I'm going to be so, I'm going to like, I'm going to pay such attention. I'm going to like be able to spot him. And then you're like, nah, you fucking idiot. Like you thought you could, you could like recognize him from that wide shot, like point of view from the upstairs building where the kids are seeing the cab driver get shot. No, cause that's a different actor. You're not going to be able to like zoom in, enhance the 8k version and like see which actor it is. Cause it's a different person every time. Like, you we, you can't outthink us. Yeah, totally. And the murders themselves, like the violence in this movie is shot. It's this weird thing where it's kind of stylized or stylistic, like the, the slow motion stuff in this scene and in mm. the taxi scene later is quite like, it, it's stylish, but it's not sexy. It's not um, romanticized no. violence. It's not like Tarantino it's, violence. It's, it's shot in a really- grotesque. Yeah, it's shot to, in this really just stark kind of showing the violence for for what it is. It's it's mm. just unsettling to watch. Yeah, unsettling especially and, like and after brutal. after that whole yeah after the the brutal shooting of the couple at the at the start, the camera just hangs on the car uh, on these wide shots of the car as the the killer walks back to his car. I don't know, reloads or or does something. Or he reckons like, back. oh, maybe she's not dead, and so he goes back just yeah, to like yeah. be be sure and, and goes shoots back her and again. just shoots him in in the wide. And it's this, it's really impersonal and just like doesn't Hollywood it up. There's no fast cuts or like yeah. dun, dun, dun. there's no music to accompany it except the 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 kind of mix of like like the kind of heightened diegetic sound of the radio and yeah. stuff. Man, it's powerful. There's something so like. Uh, not quite right about all of them where there's this weird uh, sort of like recurring thing in the film where it's that sort of element of people are too polite for their own good. So they'll like question it for a bit too long. And that's always what ends yeah. up getting them like screwed with the first couple. He's like, he thinks it might be the, her husband. And he's like, let's leave. When, when the car starts to come back, he's like, let's get out of here like now, but they don't mm. leave. Like they wait. Yeah. And then when the flashlight comes out, they think like, Oh, uh, that's all right. It's just, it's a cop. Get your get your license yeah, out. Yeah. Well, again, you'd it, it's real. I think it's realistic in that way. Like yeah, yeah. Horror movies try to be kind of realistic with people being like oh hello and you know shit like that. But I guess like in in screen the, the you know you run upstairs instead of downstairs and da, 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 da. these people react like real people. You would kind of look for any justification for what's happening to you because yeah. you wouldn't want to think I'm about to be murdered. Yeah, like the man watching them at the lake and she's like oh, that's weird. He's just kind of standing there watching us and then she's like I think the he, he went behind the tree. What what? Yeah, that's that kind of thing that if you did I, see I, that out in around you'd be like what the fuck's that guy doing but then by the time he walks up to you with a gun you're like oh fuck jesus christ yeah Yeah. exactly and now you're screwed that um that sequence i think is the scariest murder sequence in the film because it's set during the day yeah and you just wouldn't think that this would happen and the fact that so much of the film is is dark and at night and this is just like the brightest scene in the film exactly and it and it's it's shot really unromantically it's just a lot of wide shots the that that uh, again that strange voyeuristic kind of camera angles like where he goes to show the, the, the clip out of the gun and holds it up to the camera and we realize that's the dude's point of view the shots of their faces like looking at each other as they're laying on their stomachs on the oh. on the 
on yeah. the blanket and stuff. It's really uncomfortable. And then the um oh god, it's really uncomfortable. And there's no music or anything. It's just you hear the stabbing, you hear the woman screaming, and then she starts getting stabbed, and then like cuts away just as she's been turned over and he's repeatedly stabbing her. It's fucked up. And then just that chilling shot of the car with the uh, his his call card kind of written on the side of it. Yeah. You know, the, the dates, the time and the murder method. Yeah, the way that he like approaches them with the gun and asks for the, the wallet and the keys. But then after mm. they give the wallet and the keys, it's like, nah, we're not done. And ties them yeah. up. And the guy's yeah. like trying to talk him out of it or like being like, I can help you. I can write you a check. All this like pleading yeah. and stuff. Mm. But then the scene, it just keeps going. And it's just yeah. this real slow burn of a scene that you're just like, oh God. And and again, it, and it and culminates in this tr- like really shocking image of her being stabbed in the stomach repeatedly, mm. rolling over on her side. And and then that's it. That's what we're left with. And again, during, in the middle of the day. Yeah. And we're left, not only we've seen this shocking thing, but we're also left with the knowledge that, oh, this really happened. This These were real people. Yeah. that What I was saying about the, the people sort of um, not being cautious enough, yeah, and too polite for their own good, that sort of comes back later when Robert is uh, talking to the guy and he's like trying to find that guy because he's like, he wrote the posters and he's got the best match mm. of mm. handwriting we've seen so far. And then he's like, no, I wrote the posters. And he's like, oh, oh fuck. And then he's that like, sequence is I'll go down terrifying. in the basement and get them. And he's yeah. like, not many people have basements in California. And he's like, well, I do. And after all of those like red flags, he, he still, still goes, goes down into the basement. <laughs> and it's that thing of the, like his obsession is like, he is not being safe at all because of like, no, it, it literally puts, puts himself in, in harm's way. By the end of it, he's gone from like quite cautious and smart yeah. in how he's going about things. And, and Avery is the dude kind of putting himself in harm's way and being an idiot about it to the point where yeah, they switch places. Well, he, they've switched places, but, but their motives are different. Like, uh, Gyllenhaal's character isn't going after it out of a sense of ego or anything mm. really. Like it's not a, uh, it's not a performative thing or something to gain some sense of status out of it. Like I solved this. Yeah, yeah. It's something more primal, I think for him. Oh man, that scene is great. The the basement scene. Yeah, and it's just sort of lucky that it's like, okay, I guess that was like a red herring. Like that didn't actually have anything to do with the guy. Probably mm, mm. Uh, there was like so much. All of this evidence started coming out that it was like, oh, he's a film buff. He worked at this cinema. Oh, look, the, the zodiac symbol kind of looks like the countdown yeah. numbers at the beginning of a film reel. Maybe it's not the yeah. zodiac watch symbol. Maybe it is. This yeah, film real yeah. thing. And it's just all this. Well, this like, is when they think it's this Rick Murphy. Yeah. Is it Rick Murphy character? Um, who we never meet. It's a Rick Sun. Uh, but he's another he's a uh, he's another uh, favorite suspect between the three departments, the three police departments kind of working on the case. But then so much of that just seems to end up being like a red herring and the guy was just sort of fucking with him, maybe? Like the guy was just fucking creepy. Yeah, he was the guy super was fucking, up just creepy. fucking creepy. You think like, oh shit, was he the one? It was he the killer? And then it's like, no, well, he let him out. He had mm. him locked in the house, but he let him go. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's just like, is that was that someone that just wanted? Uh, like, there's so many people that like come forward and want to admit that they are the Zodiac and stuff. He just wanted like well, a little bit thing. of fame and notoriety. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. So many. Yeah, the mania that swept San Francisco in this in this time, where yeah, you've got people saying, "I'm the Zodiac killer." Did you see this? Unfortunately, yes. Here comes every lunatic in California. I'm the Zodiac. And how did you kill your victims? With a gun? No. With a hammer. All I'm authorized to tell you is that he's still under government employment. And who authorized you to tell me this? That's all I'm authorized to say. Only a little rat bastard like Andre could have done something like cut off all the victims' hands. 
Zodiac didn't cut off any of the victim's hands. Are you sure? Yes, sir. Travis and I worked here side by side for 10 years. His foot gets crushed in an accident and the killings begin. Coincidence? I don't know. You're a cop, man. Do the math. <laughs> that sequence is wonderful, that it montage. But like you do get a sense of um that the mania around this killer really muddied the the waters for mm these detectives and, and the yeah, people yeah. who were actually trying to solve it. You had all these different people kind of chiming in, giving their two cents um, and creating all this noise and fucking confusion, which led to him never being caught. Yeah. Like they say, when they were, when they're after Arthur Lee, they can't get the warrant or whatever. The, the chief's like, well, don't you have any other suspects to look into? And they're like, yeah, like uh, 2,200. And he's like, well, get yeah, started. He's like, all right then. Yep. Hmm. <laughs> So the other murder sequences we get, we get the taxi one. Yeah. Uh, the dude getting shot in the taxi, um, which again, like you say, it, it doesn't match. There's no consistency in his his mode of operation and what it seems like he wants. Like he he robs the dude for like eight bucks or something. Yeah. And again, played by a different actor, so we don't know. Um, and then the next encounter we see with him is from this woman's perspective, where she's got like a kid. Oh god, that's so like that. That freaky. is terrifying which again has that politeness thing and the whole politeness thing you've been talking about it reminds me so much of what we talked about um in silence of the lambs the kidnapping scene where yes. buffalo bill kidnaps the the mayor's uh daughter yeah the governor's daughter that thing of like you want to give people the benefit of the doubt and you're like oh, i'll help them or in you this case it's, yeah oh i like honked you over because you're tires loose you want me to tighten it up and it's like oh that's a nice yeah okay thanks if you don't mind and he's actually loosening it yeah it's a mix of they want to assume the best of people but they also don't want to confront the fact that they might be in grave danger until it's too late and this woman manages to get away like she tucks and ducks and rolls basically yeah yeah. is my understanding of it um and hides her baby in the bush until she's able to flag down a couple of other drivers yeah i think it is that god damn dude they you're going oh i kind of feel uncomfortable i don't know if i'm safe but no like i'm just i'll just wait and see i'll just wait and see and then it's too late yeah. and you go, oh, fuck. I had a bad feeling for a reason and now it's confirmed yeah, exactly. it's too late. Yeah, and then as as the, as the we keep seeing all of these instances with the Zodiac, we keep getting all this new evidence that, that sort of puts things into like a, a state of flux where we go, oh, so he is claiming all of these other murders, but some of them we know he's claiming he doesn't have any more information than was just published in the papers. So he probably didn't do that one. And so then as time mm-hmm. goes on and further and further and these crimes are inconsistent, you're like, are some of these copycats? Are this really the Zodiac? Like, yep. what's going or on? Or are they just random crimes that he's taking credit for? They try to organize like a call with him uh, on, on this uh, show at the time, this like talk show, uh, which, which he wants to speak with Melvin Belly was a prominent American lawyer at the time in a, in a fun kind of cameo is, is played by Brian Cox, who was the first person to play Hannibal Lecter in 1986's yeah, uh, Manhunt. Manhunt. Manhunter. Yeah. Yeah. Adaption of the Red Dragon book, but it wasn't titled Red yeah. Dragon. Yeah. His performance um, is and really in that good case, in this. We get, it's really- Yeah, his uh, performance is great. It's really interesting to hear this like tortured soul over the phone and him trying to like get on his side and empathize with him. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about the headaches. But then in this case, it ends up being some dude calling in from a fucking mental facility. Yeah. And they're like So just when we thought we were getting somewhere and, and it's cool watching it on repeat viewings. When you're watching it the first time, you just kind of it's a lot of information to take in like it is a long movie it's a slow burn and there's a lot of information being thrown at you so the first time you watch it you're like listening and you're like 
okay, kind of sounds, I mean, he sounds crazy. He might be the Zodiac Killer. But listen, watching it consecutive times, um, you can hear that, like, you're there going, nah, it's not him. It's not him because his voice is too high. Yeah, his voice too is high. too fucking high. And he, st- th- he sounds too erratic. He's not calm enough. Yeah, yeah. And then sure enough, right. it comes out that, that it's definitely not him. Zodiac is definitely calm, eerily calm in the way that he'll call up afterwards. When you talk about serial killers, is this has all those, like, great traits where you go okay he's got his calling cards and stuff like what are what are the characteristics mm. what does he do to set it oh, apart and the ciphers from, and stuff yeah from different murders and like that's why i think like classic murder mystery and stuff because mm-hmm. it's like oh what's his shtick he's yeah, i guess is, the calling card thing yeah he's yeah. got the he's he's contacting the press and he's giving mm. these like codes out and it's like oh can you crack the code the fact that he'll commit the crime and then call the police and call it in and he's like taunting them that Riddler-esque criminal where you go, this isn't a regular criminal that's just killing people. This is like, he's like playing a game. He's got like a little yeah, like totally. jigsawy seven element to it. Yeah, like yeah. And his voice is, is chilling as well in how calm he is when you hear those phone calls, especially that first I one. I want to report a double murder. If you go one mile east on Columbus Parkway, the public park, you'll find kids in a brown car. They were shot with a nine millimeter Luger. And then you got your, you need your like, your cool detective as well. Like those are like the, the really important characters. I think I said that in Silence of the Lambs. It's sort of that your superhero aspects. You want your superhero yeah, and you want your supervillain. Yeah. And the rest of the characters are yeah. kind of not as important. They're not as interesting. So it's like you want to make yeah, those yeah. two characters really interesting. So you want to have a really interesting yeah, totally. cop. So in this case. Compelling cop and a yeah. really interesting murderer. And do their uh, like different skills like make mm. a good match? against each other totally and in this case we've got this kind of triptych of of heroes mm. um in Hall, ruffalo and and uh downey jr which like you said it, it works to just it bombards the audience with information it's like you can't uh, keep the all the stories straight in your head yeah because there's so much mm. to take in constantly and you're also trying to keep it straight because you're like okay this is evidence that robert downey jr had or this is something that robert had and this is something that totally like mark ruffalo's character said and you're like oh who's how are we collating all this stuff together and keeping it like organized in your head as you're watching and going along and trying to follow totally and there's bits of information that evidence gets presented or, or would have been great to know you know scenes prior yeah is kind of dropped in their lap and they're like well what the f- fuck do i do with this now like as, as the the best example or like the two biggest examples that come to mind are the um the two cops who didn't stop the guy the man who matched the description because the call was put out that they were looking for a blackmail and then corrected like three minutes later and yeah. in that three minutes they saw this dude who would have been their man later on when jake gyllenhaal's character is looking for for evidence or, or is uh, waiting to meet with uh the the lawyer that the zodiac wanted to speak with he just happens to have a chat with with the maid that took the phone call, who spoke with the Zodiac over the phone and mentioned it was his birthday. Yeah, and it's like, did sh- did you tell the police this fucking information? Like, the script is is really sharply written for something that is so information heavy and so uh, such a slow burn. It could could be really fucking drab, could be um really disengaging and fucking boring. Yeah, but it's sharply sharply written. 
we get a lot of nice uh, character introductions of Jake Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr. without lots of dialogue because it's like, all right, all the dialogue needs to be like straight into the story. So when we see him mm. entering to work and like Robert Downey Jr. sitting and all the people are like crowded around him and he's chatting and yapping and away or whatever, Jake Gyllenhaal like walks past them, but he's sort of like his mannerisms and the way he looks at them. You can see like he's an outsider. He's not part of that group. He's not part of the cool club. He's a cartoonist. And we get all of that, that sort of information uh, in very like quick visual things so that we can focus mm-hmm. on, hey, here's this crazy letter that came in the mail. That's a fucking murderer mailing yeah. into the newspaper. And then we see that Robert Downey Jr. is noticing Jake Gyllenhaal's eager obsession with it that he starts going, yeah. Yeah, who who are you again? Like now we're going to be introduced, and I'm going to start listening and like question, like get your point of view. That when we meet Robert uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character in the office just after we've met uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, they're not in any in no shots are they together? Um, I don't think, and it's not until later when you see Robert Downey Jr. kind of maybe look at Jake Gyllenhaal or notice him a little bit in the meeting mm. doesn't really doesn't really take much notice, and that's and that's reflected in the the direction of the scene. And stuff and then later on we see them come closer and closer into frame until they're sitting right next to each other and actually interacting and you know, shaking hands and, and then they start drinking shit. big bright blue drinks and they drink bl- big bright blue drinks and and robert downey jr does what robert downey jr does he steals the fucking show in every scene that he's in he's wonderful <laughs> they he's a well he's really really a- fucking good really funny yeah, really funny, really charismatic. You can see from his like clothing, everybody else on that editorial team are just like boring white collar dudes, and he's you know mm. a little bit of the '60s colorful vests yeah, and sideburns, yeah, yeah. and you know longer hair. He's not all clean cut like everybody else, because of course Robert Graysmith, we- is, he's a Boy Scout. He's all yeah. he's like young, naive, clean cut, doesn't drink, doesn't gamble, doesn't smoke, mm-hmm. none of that. And I also love the introduction of his wife and going on the date and her being like yes. wrapped into this. Or his like, second wife. Yes, that's right, second wife. Instead of it being this like, oh, we gotta take time away from this murder mystery to go on this date and develop his character and his relationship, it's like, oh no. That gets tied back in, um, and she yeah, sort of gets yeah, enthralled. Yeah, it's not a romantic subplot or anything. Yeah, it's she's like, like, "This is the most interesting date I've ever been on." <laughs> yeah, and then later on, she's like, "It's the date that never ended." And he's yeah. like, "You don't mean that?" She's like, "A little bit." That's an. It's a nice line, but we don't have to see all of the rest of it. We don't have to be like, "Oh, did they get married?" We understand that when we see them after like the four years later jump, and they're still together. Mm. It's like, "Oh yeah, there's they've got it's, more." kids. It's amazing, and you're like, "Yep, cool, they've got more kids." And then when it comes to a divorce, we're not like, "Oh wait, yeah. when did they get married?" It's just like, "Yep, yeah, we we get." that stuff don't need to waste time on that shit because it's nearly a three hour long movie let's stick to them the moiters well that's the thing it's it's nearly a three hour long movie that spans a like three characters and a city across three decades and it manages to still feel economical like anything Mm. we don't we're not shown anything that isn't kind of critical that isn't relevant no Um, and that's that's a that's a feat yeah, that's a fucking feat. It, it's pretty, pretty nuts. It's, it's, it's great, especially with the way where it sort of it starts out more Robert Downey Jr. centric. Mark Ruffalo is in there though with the taxi cab stuff because we mm-hmm. need his establishment and everything. But then after the Robert Downey Jr. does all of his stuff, we really switch to just Mark Ruffalo's detective stuff for a while it's not this like Mm. constant intercutting back and forwards like they're on the case the whole time all three of them it's like they they are 
but almost the entire second act of the film is just Mark Ruffalo. And then like totally. third act, we get his partner quits and gives up. He gets fucking chucked off the case because they reckon he wrote the the note of the Zodiac to try and like drum up publicity for himself. Yeah, publicity. Yeah. So he gets thrown off the case. And then that's when Gyllenhaal can come back in and he like sort of drives it for the third the third act. Yeah, yeah. Because his obsession with it hasn't gone away. No. Um, and he's... As we can see, he has been keeping up with it the entire time, but mm. like just like yeah, the, the narrative of the film sort of steers away from him for a while, but not too much. Like yeah, it's a really well balanced amount that it's not too much that we sit there and go, oh, I haven't heard from him for a while. Like what the fuck's going on? Yeah, I, I never found myself thinking like, when do they get to the fireworks factory? Or yeah. like you know, where's where's Poochie? Yeah, I was all. I was. <laughs> I, I like each. I like all of the characters and everything that we're shown again feels relevant and like it's gonna be important at some point. Yeah, I love uh, the like the segments of Jake Gyllenhaal. Like he's so. We get to see Robert Downey Jr.'s demise into like because he's paranoid because he called the Zodiac alcoholism a, a latent homosexual in one of his articles. So then <laughs> he starts getting. <laughs> How fucking juvenile is that? Yeah, yeah. Just being like, oh yeah, you murder people, you're gay, dude. Yeah, I bet you're gay as well. That's, that's murder, why you murder people. people's fucking gay, bro. <laughs> so he paints a target for himself, so that suddenly the zodiac's after him. So he starts getting paranoid about that. I love every, yeah. everybody starts it's wearing the all the other press start wearing <laughs> badges that say I'm not Paul Avery. <laughs> and you can really see like he's not super clean cut to begin with he's got that kind of cool cool style about him but he just starts looking worse and worse and worse um and then finally like a fucking bum when we see uh gyllenhaal come back and and meet him at his houseboat and he opens the door and he's like gone all gray and stuff he looks like absolute shit it's like a massive transformation we see that eventually with Hall, but it just takes so much longer because he was so like clean cut and like boy scout yeah looking but then yep. by the time that he finally tracks down that the the first murder victim's sister in jail and she goes to talk to her she's like oh yeah you you've got the look you've got that yeah, look about and he you does you... he's all gaunt and, and like yeah. his eyes are all sunken and he just looks gray and it's like yeah it's finally gotten to him it's just taken so much longer than everybody else we've seen kind of enough integral like interactions between him and his second wife and his his kids and stuff to see that it's affected that it's affected it's taken that from him yeah taken that from him or or he gave that up to pursue yeah, he, this really that he's like, neglected we, that. we see the yeah we see the um the absentee kind of or the the absent fathering and and husband kind of yeah stuff um and he starts getting the the phone calls the like the, yeah, the, the heavy, heavy breathing, breathing stuff so he starts getting paranoid and then we also learn like yeah, she's left him, but then when she comes back with the divorce papers and he thinks that someone's coming to kill him, we also learn that it's like, yeah, no, he's lost his job over it as well. Like, this is something yeah, that has... Yeah. It's like the ripples of these murders consume and ruin the lives of these people that are just like the subsequent people that are trying to, like, figure out and solve it as well as the people that were actually mm. murdered. Um, and, yeah, so, totally. like, to the point where he's like, that's that, like, hit rock bottom, lost everything. His house, yeah, his is, house just is just full, full of different of files and boxes. And paper and stuff. He's like, one He's one corkboard and yarn That's what I was going to say. Where was the yarn, uh, man? <laughs> that's why he wasn't able to keep track of everything. You need all those lines. Exactly. Draw, Not like, enough yeah. yarn in this fucking movie. <laughs> 
I like that all those little details of like how he's lost his job and and um, characters have moved on or, or uh, succumbed to you know problems with alcohol and stuff. In the case of uh, not just Avery, but the handwriting expert, it, it's this weird case of we're not shown we're told it but it's woven into dialogue so naturalistically that it's not it doesn't it doesn't like stink of exposition or and it it doesn't feel unnecessary again it's super super economical uh script writing another favorite scene of mine is when they go to talk to arthur lee allen at his workplace (gasps) yes that's amazing yeah that sequence is fucking wonderful it's just like yeah you you get chills like you can see yeah. that that is the response of all three of them in the room, like looking at each other and just like going, yeah, going holy like, this shit, this is our guy. What the fuck is going on? Like you guys feel that too? And it's like, you feel that as the audience. It's it's displayed so well. Yeah. Because he says like, oh, the, the pol- that other policeman already spoke to me and they're like, oh yeah, no, we, we don't recall that. We'll check into that. And then he just yeah. starts blurting out shit. That they're just like yeah, all this oh all this stuff that's God. like more and more incriminating. They're <laughs> like, like the knives I had in my car with the blood on them. That blood came from a chicken that I killed for dinner. What? I had knives in my car that weekend. Maybe Bill saw them and called the other officer on me. And he's got the boots. They look at his watch, and it's literally got the the, the zodiac. zodiac shit that um. <laughs> We've previously heard uh, Rob Downey Jr. mention. They found that that is the only time that that word and symbol has that, appeared that symbol, yep. next to each other. So cool. And I think um, uh, John Carroll Lynch uh, is, is an excellent character actor. Yeah. And he he does this, plays this role kind of with this understated creepiness that's just shy of threatening mm. but is kind of, I think it's a responsible realisation of the, of the character given that the film essentially like convicts this dude posthumously yeah humorously as as the zodiac it could have been real easy to make him i don't know overtly villainous i'm not the zodiac and if i was i certainly wouldn't tell you but he, but he never is it's 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 fucking tasteful yeah it's just enough to go he is so fucking creepy and off-putting but is that reason enough to just pin him for the murder have we gotten yeah, enough evidence yeah, totally. to actually show that he is the Zodiac or is he just a real fucked up individual because there's yeah, plenty of yeah, those yeah, around. Yeah. And also like, sure, we've got we've got a bunch of evidence, but it's still not enough to convict him. It's still not enough to get a warrant to search him for the most part until later in the film. And even then they get the evidence, but the, 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 the handwriting guy is like, nah, it's not him. I love when they're, uh, when they're at the diner in the middle of the morning because he f- fucking runs over to his house in the middle of the night in the pouring rain, bashing on the window, yeah. and he goes, "Well, yeah, like, what do you mean? This is like, this isn't enough evidence." And he's like, "Well, what about not as a cop?" And he's like, "But I am a cop. Yeah. I have to be a cop." And yeah, he's like, yeah. "Easy, dirty Harry." <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that's a, that's the thing. He's like, "Yeah, I don't need a." He says at the cinema when he talks to Robert for the first time, he says, "I don't need to catch him. They already made a film of it. <laughs> it's so much easier yeah. just to sh- just to chase him down and shoot him than like get him with due process." yeah which is again that like that thing of it's been going on for so long they just want to they just want to like find someone for it and get that closure and Mm. so they're willing to like be like "Uh, but what if we didn't do it like you know legally (laughs) i mean dude by the end of the movie i'm just like it's him it's fucking him (laughs) (laughs) again it, it, it ends up being this 
like Finchian meta commentary on the fact that no, this this was all di- like what you just saw happened. Perhaps it was doomed to happen, and there's nothing any of us can do about it. So sit with that, motherfuckers. Yep. You watched all of it. You loved it. You sick fucks. Again, like they say in in Scream, isn't it more scary without the motive? We never got to yeah. find out why Hannibal Lecter likes to eat people. We never That's get to it. find out who the Zodiac is. That's it. So we talked a little bit about the um, the music uh, being used to reflect the change of decades and stuff like that and, and the montages to show the passage of time. I think the added original score uh, by David Shire, um, who was also the composer for uh, the score of uh, All the President's Men, which served as a total influence for the film, does a really good job of giving the film this kind of classic detective kind of feel, mm. especially for the scenes with uh, Mark Ruffalo's character. Yeah, absolutely. While also giving this sense of th- this sense that danger is just kind of Lurking. like permeating yeah, the 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 culture of the time and it's this it's this consuming obsession and this this oblique sense of looking over your shoulder, not quite sure if, if someone's following you and stuff. I think that does a great job. I think um Donald Graham Burt's uh, production design is meticulous. It's ridiculous. Yep. It's not stylized or exaggerated. It feels raw and lived in and mundane, mm. uh, which I think really serves it, serves the film. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like that um the the newspaper. Yeah, yeah, absolutely really mundane yeah i mean and and the way that that space uh evolves like it starts out looking one way and then by the end of the film it's got different lighting these blue pillars it looks kind of more modern at least for the time and the the environment and the the feel of the place has changed but robert graysmith is still there (laughs) you know another like when we're talking when we going going back to the like how does things hold up the visual effects in this film are some of like the most seamless uh, visual effects in a film. Totally, totally. To the point um, where most of them you don't notice. I think uh, when you know that like all of the blood is digital, when you if you go back and like pay attention and like zoom in and look, you can yeah, kind of tell. Someone, but there's so yeah, many I think other it, unless elements. Someone points it out to you. Yeah, but there's so much other stuff. When if it isn't pointed out to you, you don't. You just never know. Uh, I think a great example of that is the taxi uh, crime scene. I was about to say on the street, use of blue screen. Yeah, that that whole excellent thing is just like on a blue screen stage. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's wonderful. It's amazing. It's really well done. Super super effective, and the attention to detail uh, in making it look as as kind of close to life is fucking unheard of. Like the to the point where they flew in trees to that lake location to make it look as close to how it looked at the time of those murders as possible. Yeah, like that's that level insane. of attention to detail is ridiculous. I know. What do you even fucking call moving trees around? Does that come under production design? That, Does that come you under g- You set? go into like Sims territory, Cost- yeah, dude. Yeah, like. That's playing God. Like who does it? What uh, the fuck? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you fucking hate that if he's like, I really want <laughs> trees here. And you're like, and you know that that's your job, but you're trying to like pass it off to like fucking best boy or some shit. Yeah. Like, like, fucking uh, David Fincher. God damn it. We, oh, God damn it. Or you don't know. All you, right, where's, where's, where's that fucking, where's the intern? He might be. Intern. It might be that meticulously thought out that that was all done 
that was all planned. So they didn't have to go, oh, wait, do you know what? Like they weren't on location going, oh, do you know what would make this really good? <laughs> no, I'm had- sure it was, yeah, yeah. I'm sure it was planned out better than, than <laughs> anything you or I could have fucking <laughs> dreamt up. We, we think of it in terms of like, fuck, how would we get a tree from one, f- oh, fuck me. <laughs> You'd have to tie a chain around it and yank it out with a helicopter and just yeah. I'm just imagining like just full loose trees just dangling <laughs> underneath <laughs> helicopters. Bashing into David, each other. David Fincher hang it, hanging off it, swinging off it. <laughs> I'm a genius. Um I think another thing that's cool is the film was largely shot on digital. Mm. Um, in 1080p and presented in the the 240 to 1 aspect ratio, um, save for some slow motion stuff, uh, which was shot on film. And that served as a vote of confidence uh, in fledgling technology at the time, which helped bolster the rate of adoption by other filmmakers to, to shoot stuff on digital. Yes, David Fincher is very much like the opposite of like the Christopher Nolan. He absolutely loves shooting everything on film. Uh, yeah. There was talk on, uh, I think it was Dunkirk. He even did like, they did like, uh, like photochemical color grading, like traditionally w- ways of doing it. Wow. They didn't digitally color grade it. So he is like massive, massive for like the old school, the film. He goes wild yeah. with IMAX cameras and the 70 millimeter. David Fincher has loved like, yeah, going digital. Like he's been mm. a big, big uh, mover with that. I think, was it Social Network was shot digital as well? And I think uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I believe, was like one of the first like big Hollywood films edited on Premiere. So that oh, was wow, sort of another cool. thing where it was like in the world of was... Avid and um, yeah, uh, what is it, Sony Vegas? They were like, yeah, yeah. Here's, a, here's Premiere. That's really cool. Because of the camera's low light sensitivity, they were able, were able to just use a lot of kind of available lighting and uh, like practical lights to produce the, the, the high contrast shadowy look that we get in a lot of scenes. And I don't know, it's, re- it's really cool. Uh, I really like the way the the film ends. Like we kind of get the end of Robert Graysmith's story being that he's he goes to this this hardware store to basically confront Lee, presumably. Yeah. Um, sees him, and we see Lee like kind of turn around, look at him, and almost notice that because ro- at this point Robert Graysmith's been on TV saying that he's looking for the Zodiac Killer. He almost recognizes him. There's this really like tense kind of eye contact between the two not a word is spoken i don't know whether i read it as he recognizes him or he just recognizes the look he's giving him yes i like that too that he's doing the um, like oh i'm being a nice i'm at my job how can i help you and then when he's suddenly like no but he just keeps staring at him he's like yeah kind of like oh does he does he know is that why he's staring at me and it it, it stops being that nice polite shop worker and becomes this like in the space and you see it uh, you see his face like kind of melt into the oh. like all right cunt it, over the space oh, like in 10 seconds it's, it's really fucking cool it's like a masterfully subtle change mm. in uh mm. in expression all of the moments in this movie where i'm like oh my god are like the really tiny subtle <laughs> little things they're not like the big yeah, like yeah boom bombastic shit you're no, like no they say there's this one one little phrase of evidence yeah there's no really big bombastic scenes in this movie really like the the sequence the the most tense sequence for me is the the one we talked about earlier the basement going the down basement, to the basement yeah. and the like you know i wrote those signs let me go out in the basement and see if I can find anything. Uh, not a lot of people have basements. I do. 
that uh, like nothing happens. He leaves the house. Yeah. He gets out unscathed. There's no big scary thing, but it's so fucking tense. And and so yeah, all of the 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 coolest shit in this movie, like I said, is really understated and just masterful. When he's staring at him, um, that's sort of like what he said to his uh, his ex wife when she said like, "What what do you want out of this? Like, when is it going to be over?" And he says like, "I yeah. sort of I want to be able to like like see him, look at him, and know look it's at him. him and know that it's him." And that's sort of that yeah. moment. Which is true to his character. Again, he's not in it for, I mean, he writes a fucking book off it. Yeah, that's right. He's not in it to be like the hero who takes down the dude. It's just. He wrote a book. He's like, but I he did need not, to. He did not print that on lunchboxes. So that's what makes him. He, exactly. He, he wasn't, get that lunchbox he wasn't out money. for the big bucks. He was for like the mum and pop, write a book. Teehee, I think this guy killed someone. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> see, lunchbox money is where, that's that's the sell your soul shit. Yeah. That's, That's right. that deal with the devil shit, that lunchbox money. Yeah. And then we get like a little, I guess, coda to the story. Mm. 1991. How many years later is that? Seven and a half years later, it, it cuts to. Um, and the dude who survived the first murder sequence identifies Arthur Lee Allen yep. as who, who shot him. Um, but even then, even then, he's like, it's this guy. But he had a round face like this guy. And the cop's yeah. like, well, hang on, are you Wait, saying are that you it's identifying this, this person now? He's like, no, 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 I'm saying he had a round face like this guy, but it's definitely this guy. So even then, you're like, it's kind of uncertain. Eight out of ten certainty. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, <laughs> oh, okay, I guess that's 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 pretty certain. <laughs> yeah. And then we get some some information. Classic text at the end of a movie that's based on mm-hmm. real events. The fact that when the police are going to go and question him, he has a heart attack like beforehand. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, before the meeting could take place. You can't write this shit. You can't make that <laughs> shit up. <laughs> hey, it's, it's that stranger than fiction shit, Yeah, dude. yeah. And then they go on to say that in 2002, a partial DNA profile that did not match Alan was developed from a 33-year-old Zodiac envelope. But they didn't. They still didn't want to rule Alan out uh, as a suspect on the basis of that test. And you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. It's just, it's great. I I um I think when I first watched it, I really liked it. I definitely didn't appreciate just how good this movie is. Again, I think it's that thing of it's it's the re- it's the repeat viewing because there's so much evidence to take. Yeah, in. it's so it, much information. It's yeah, makes for really uh, really rewarding uh, repeat viewing experience. But because it's so long and because there is so much information, it's kind of hard to just, you know, gun it. Um, I think I, I go back and watch this movie every year or two. I'll go back and give this another watch. Mm. I enjoy it just as much, if not more so each time. Yeah, but again, a testament to the length that it's a two-hour or 40-minute movie. Happy to rewatch and still enthralled. Oh, and yeah. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm always excited to revisit it. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like, yeah, I, I, I go back to it every couple of years, enjoy it more and more. Always find new things to appreciate about it. It has aged um, like a fine wine. It has aged like a fine wine. And I feel like it marks it marks a shift towards a more mature approach to directing from, from Fincher. Like previous to this, you've got Seven and Fight Club, which are quite kinetic um, compared to this. This is yep. very, this is so meticulous and methodical in in every uh respect even the montages aren't these big like bombastic like it's all very measured um yeah. and then after that uh i mean he did curious, curious case, case. button the year after yeah, but social network, but then we had social girl network with the and girl with the dragon tattoo gone girl, gone girl. absolutely yeah yeah i i think it marks a, a shift and one that i really like like i like seven i really like seven but i i prefer the I prefer how just just how meticulous Zodiac is and how yeah same. I think I definitely prefer Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. 
this these later films like I absolutely love Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. That's another one that I mm-hmm. keep rewatching every couple of years. I think I do prefer them to, even though I do love um, Fight Club and Seven. I do I do prefer the the later Fincher, as it were. Well, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you would like to support us, best thing you can do at this point is to just share the podcast around. Uh, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can rate and review us. That's also incredibly helpful. Uh, we'd love to know what you thought of this week's episode or any episode. In fact, you can tweet us at Rose Tint Review on Twitter or hit us up on Instagram at Rose Tinted Review. This episode's question, I'd love to know if you were uh, a... Let's get morbid, all right? If you were a serial killer, if you Ooh, were some okay. bizarre, deranged individual, what would your calling card be? What would you leave behind? What would you, what would you do? Ooh. I wouldn't be a very successful uh, serial killer because my calling card would be like your a business roach. card. It would be a business card. It would have my fucking email address. Your YouTube channel on it. No, it would be it would be a, it'd be a spent joint. <laughs> it'd have my fucking DNA all over it. <laughs> yeah, man. If we're oh, going dear. through that stuff, yeah, mine would be just like an empty like milkshake glass like, <laughs> cup, <laughs> empty vanilla Coke can. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going like the animal cracker route of serial killer. Where it's less about like the go. manner that he kills the people. It's just like the kind of junk food he likes to eat. And they're going to catch me based on that. They'll catch you within like a day. Yep. Oh, dear. They just look at my social media and I'm constantly just posting photos of me with like cans of vanilla Coke posing. Next episode, what are we doing? Next week. We are going to stay on topic of serial killers and Jake Gyllenhaal with <laughs> with prisoners. Connor has not seen this film, but I have. No, I have not and seen I love it. it. Uh, I'm not familiar with uh, Denise Villeneuve. Yeah, no, I have not uh, seen anything of his. French Canadian. Well, it is a great jumping off point into his filmmaking, Mr. Connor. So, if you want to follow along at home, we always suggest it. Like a book club or a film club or a game club. Watch the movie before you listen Not to the episode. Not a fight club! Ha 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 Oh dear. Good one. We have fun here. Good one, Connor. Yeah, so, check the flick out. Get some context. Because we are going to spoil the fuck out of it. <laughs> Probably not even in a linear matter. I think the way to the way to think about it, we we often frame this as like a you'll have more fun listening to the podcast if you've watched the movie. Teehee, I think it should be more of a you will have infinitely less fun watching the movie if you've listened to the listen, podcast once you've listened to the podcast if you haven't already seen it. Yeah, don't like listen to our episode and go oh that that flick sounded interesting I'll check it out now. It's yeah. probably yeah you're probably gonna ruin it for you. You've done yourself a massive disservice if if you've ever done that. And so many of these films are great. We would not want to ruin them for you. And so many of our podcasts are not. <laughs> no, sorry. Join us next time when we find out whether our hindsight is truly 2020 or we've just been wearing rose-tinted glasses. I